Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 80 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On today's podcast, we have a very special guest, and I'm not just saying that. This lady is truly one of a kind, with a perspective on the poker world that goes all the way back to the 1970s. She's a WSOP bracelet winner, and she used to be engaged to none other than Poker Hall of Famer Chip Reese. She's also a past nominee to the Women in Poker Hall of Fame, recognized for her career in the ind- on the industry side of poker as a dealer, floor person, and tournament director. Most recently, she's the beloved, very active administrator of the Action Now Sports Poker Facebook group, which boasts close to 4,500 4, members. But this poker lady is old school at heart. Today, we are going to learn about her life as she treats us to some special stories from poker's past. Terry King, welcome to the Cards Chat podcast. Well, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I'm so happy. To, I'm so happy to be speaking with you, Terry. I feel like I've known you for years, but we've never actually verbally spoken before, just on Facebook. That's true. Yeah, it uh, seems like it's been a long time coming. We've been planning this, and we finally made it happen. It's uh, midnight, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm I'm wide awake. <laughs> right. I, I, it's, I'm up till all hours of the day and night. So. You, you keep that poker schedule. Um, and it's I, something, it's something you know, you've been doing for a while. I know, I know you're originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and you made it to Las Vegas right after graduating high school uh, in 1972. So I'm just curious, before we get to the Las Vegas, which is obviously the, the majority portion of our conversation, what was growing up in, in Oklahoma like? And, you know, what was the pull for you to, to leave small town USA? Well, I mean, it was it, Tulsa's a nice city. Mm-hmm. My great grandparents and grandparents and parents are from there. My dad was actually from Alabama, but uh, so my roots are in Oklahoma and grew up there. And when my, uh, my parents divorced, my sister got married and mom and I moved in from a little country town called Bixby and we moved back into Tulsa and I just wasn't ready to go to college. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I took a, uh, a stenographer's test mm-hmm. for typing in shorthand. I was supposed to go to Washington DC to work for the FBI. Oh, wow. And I didn't get my acceptance papers and mom and I had a big fight and my, my, I had a guy uh, I went with through high school mostly, and his mother and I are still friends to this day. And she called me up and said, "You got to get out of there. You and your mom are going to kill each other. Go to Vegas. <laughs> Aunt, Do- Aunt Dottie, Neil's Aunt Dottie's out there, and she'll get you set up." And two days later, I was on a plane and got to Vegas, and uh, Aunt Dottie played poker. Huh. And the rest, and the rest is history. <laughs> that that's fascinating. I mean, of all the places, you know, I guess uh, it was uh, meant to be and predestined that uh, you'd end up uh, in the bright lights of Las Vegas. Um, so you say Aunt Dottie played poker. Is that like you know literally day one? That's you know she just said, "Well, you're going to learn this card game." Is that how it happened? No, she actually uh, 
she had been a professional barrel racer, a rodeo uh, event, mm-hmm. and she was staying with a friend that had a little uh, house with a corral and stalls and stuff, and, and you know, we'd go out and ride horses a couple of times, and she worked at, uh, she was working at Circus Circus, I got a job working as a secretary for an attorney, and one night she said, come on, let's go downtown to the Golden Nugget, they have a one-to-five, five-card draw game. So here I go bouncing into the Golden Nugget with my hair in braided pigtails and cowboy boots on. <laughs> I had no, I mean, first of all, when I left Tulsa, I, I really didn't even know what Las Vegas was. I had no clue. I, I had a plane ticket. I said, okay, I'm going. I'm out of here. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, she played poker and I didn't have a clue. And I, uh, she wasn't the greatest player, but I watched her play probably. Ten times before I got up the nerve to play, and uh-huh. I finally did. I didn't do too well, but uh, it was fun. <laughs> uh, I mean, you have to correct me if I'm wrong here, but the research that I dug up, it says that you were a, quote, professional poker player from ages 18 to 21 after you arrived in Vegas. How is that possible? Well, actually, I would say 19, because the first year... I I didn't know how to play very well at all. Okay. And then I met a, a friend who, <laughs> I met her at the Nugget in the five-card draw game, and she check-raised me, and I almost started crying. <laughs> I'm like, but she checked already. And I said, well, no, honey, that's, that's legal. I said, well, that's really tacky. <laughs> and uh, I, I couldn't stand her, and pretty soon we became fast friends, and she taught me how to play better. And then uh, sometime later in, I I guess I had turned 19 by then, and then she said, let's go out and play uh, a one-to-three six-card stud game at the Dunes. Mm -hmm. So we went, and I started playing, and when I... I had, I had quit my legal secretary job and gone back home for a few months at one point. I just didn't like staying out all night gambling and anyway so I came back to Vegas and I wasn't gonna even play and she's like well just come sit behind me and watch and I watched and you know started playing and winning and just never got a job huh unbelievable and I guess they weren't checking IDs so thoroughly back then and no they did not (laughs) there were so few women I mean Linda and I Linda Johnson uh, we were just speaking of I mean, there were so few women back then. You know, they they liked having women in the game uh, around, you know, instead of all the guys. They liked a woman here and there. But, uh, yeah, it was – I used to tease Chip. I said, just remember one thing, young man. I was a professional poker player when you were still in college. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, of course, you referenced uh, Linda Johnson. For those who didn't hear, that was uh, a real treat. We had her on in episode number 39. So after this episode, by all means, please go back uh, and listen to that. Um, Terry, you know, we all know uh, – well, everyone knows these days all about inflation. Uh, you know, And, of course, uh, that's been around for a while. You know, 50 years ago when you were playing – I'm kind of wondering, what did it mean to make a living from poker? What sort of a, a yearly income ballpark are we talking about that you need to, to sort of cover your expenses back then? Well, there were 
very little back then. I mean, I rented a room from my friend, and, uh, you know, I'd make anywhere from, say, 50 to 100 a day playing one to three stud. Of course, then you might have a couple of losing days through the week, too. So, you know, I, I had uh, a small car payment mm -hmm. and uh, $75 a month rent. Yeah, not too bad. So, yeah, not too bad. But So I, I did that for a couple of years. And uh, then when I turned 21, uh, Silver City Casino opened, Major Riddle, who was part owner of the Dunes, uh, bought Silver City and opened it. And they were opening a poker room. And my friend said, why don't you come work? I said, well, maybe I'll give it a try, something to fall back on in case I ever, you know, I'm not doing well playing. I wasn't going to get rich playing one to three. Right. But, uh, and and one old-time poker player told me, uh, you know, he, he got angry when I started playing higher limits. He's like, what's the matter? You don't like winning here every day? Uh, <laughs> you're going you're gonna to risk your whole bankroll in a couple of plays? And well, I, I didn't even really know what all that meant. Mm. But I knew he was smarter than I was. And I never played higher for the next year and a half. Hmm. And then I turned 21 and decided, okay, I'll, I'll try my hand at dealing. Huh. And it, it certainly does help. If you've played before, I mean, some dealers, you know, I mean, which there were no dealer schools back then that I know of. Mm -hmm. You just picked up the deck and dealt, you know, people helped train you, and, but they didn't really have dealer schools per se for poker that I know of. Right. And, you know, so, so I, <laughs> one of the first games I ever set down to deal at Silver City, they stuck me in a $3,000, $6,000 Raz game to deal. <laughs> I was terrified. Sure. That's a lot of money. <laughs> I, I didn't say a word. Wow. I knew how, how vicious those players were, and I just I didn't say a word. <laughs> hmm. well, we'll definitely talk uh, quite a bit about your experiences, uh, you know, working uh, in a poker as a dealer as well as a floor person. Uh, but I'm curious, you know, you've mentioned Silver City. You mentioned the Golden Nugget. You mentioned the Dunes. Uh, how many poker rooms were there in Las Vegas back in those days? And, and what were sort of the typical stakes that people played for? Oh, goodness. Well, I'd say the Dunes and the Stardust were the biggest. Well, the Golden Nugget, too. I mean, Bill Boyd ran that poker room. The Golden Nugget opened, I believe, in 1948, and he ran that room until the early 80s when Steve Wynn bought it mm -hmm. and uh, Eric Drake took over the poker room. Mm -hmm. But Bill Boyd ran that room all those years. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I'd say the Golden Nuggets, Stardust, Dunes, I mean, the Flamingo had a poker room, mm -hmm. Tropicana, and then the smaller ones like Silver Slipper, Silver City. Mm -hmm. um, but tournaments, there weren't tournaments. There was the World Series. Right. Period. Right. I mean, it was the World Series, uh, you know, in the 70s, I guess. Well, the first real world series of poker um, was in Reno, you know, when they all went up to, uh, to Reno and played, yep. they said, well, I don't think we want to do this every year. Maybe Benny Benyon will do this. And then he took the idea and had the world series then. But uh, yeah. It, and then Amarillo Slim started having his 
um, sometime in the, I'd say, late 70s, I think. At the Super Bowl of poker, right? That was his yes. thing? Yeah. So, it, it, was, it was first in, in Reno, uh-huh. and then he moved it to Tahoe. Huh. Unbelievable. I mean, we, we, we've seen the numbers of, of the amount of folks who participated, 7, 13, 20, like in those first, uh, you know, main right. events. Oh, I know. And, and, and you mentioned all these, you know, these rooms in Las Vegas, you know, surely back then, you know, Las Vegas was still a tourist mecca and you had people coming from all over. But as far as the community of professional poker players, it was uh, quite a lot smaller, and I imagine perhaps a little bit tighter uh, back then than it is today. So I'm wondering, how how does one sort of go about becoming part of that in crowd uh, back in the day? Well, I mean, it was a small world, you know. I mean, even when I went to work at Silver City, mm-hmm. um, you know, we all dealt, we all played. Uh, get off work and go go down the street and play, you know, uh, at some some other clubs. And, uh, you know, it was kind of an all-consuming lifestyle back then. Hmm. And, but it was fun, you know. I mean, everything was on the east side of town, like Paradise and Twain, mm-hmm. uh, between Maryland Parkway and, and the Strip. Um, everybody lived right there. So it was, you know, three to four minutes to get to work at Silver City or get to the dunes, get anywhere. It was five minutes. Hmm. Unbelievable. So, yeah, it was, uh, so, you know, you'd see people no matter what game you play. And it's funny. We all referred to people. Oh, you know, so-and-so. Oh yeah. Raz player. Oh, you know, so-and-so. Oh yeah. He played hold. See, no limit hold'em really wasn't allowed except during tournament time very much because Hmm. the really good players would bust all the all the not so good players (laughs) and then they wouldn't have a game every day you know the house didn't want that they wanted the games to keep going so um when that stopped was when chris moneymaker won the world series of poker and then I was I was in California working at Hollywood Park at the time, mm-hmm. and I remember these these young kids had come in, and I, I mean we checked IDs, but they were young, you know, college kids, and they'd say we want to play that all in thing. They didn't even <laughs> know what it was, but they knew they wanted. I mean, he really did do a lot for poker. For let's sure. face it, you know. For sure. Yeah, uh, they saw it, you know. I think Mr. Joe, Joe, anybody could win. Right. And uh, right. so it, it brought a whole brand new, you know, player base. Of course, then online poker, mm-hmm. you know, brought uh, a lot, which I've never really played online. Mm-hmm. So I can't t- discuss that too much because sure. I really, you know, I, I, I know, oh my goodness, the millions of hands some of these guys have played. You know, in mm-hmm. a short amount of time, it's just uh, mind-boggling. For sure, for sure. I mean, obviously, poker uh, has evolved. I mean, you mentioned Chris Moneymaker. We were fortunate to have him on as well in episode number fifteen. Folks can listen to that. But we've got a lot of uh, quote-unquote post-moneymaker players. It's rare uh, that we get uh, your perspective. Uh, you know, for from back in the day. You know, you were saying it's it was so important to keep those games going. That's why it wasn't no limit. I know you were a prop player. 
uh, for Chip back in, in 1979. You know, so many folks, uh, modern fans of the game, we know of Chip, you know, Hall of Famer, one of the game's great cash game players, greatest ones. He's got, uh, you know, after all, the Poker Players Championship trophy named after him. But, you know, far fewer people realize that he actually ran the Dunes poker room. Uh, maybe you could sort of tell us, you know, a little bit of a history lesson about the Dunes uh, poker room. What was the experience like playing there? Well, the Dunes was was great. I mean, that, uh, you know, I went in and made a living every day and met a bunch of the, you know, old pros and they'd give me little tips and advice and and stop by and chat. And of course, you know, I was 18, 19, really, I guess 19 at the time. And, uh, but it was nice. Like I say, Sarge was an old school guy. Now he could be terrible to the dealers, but he was always really good to me. Took me under his wing. And this is Fred Ferris. Is that right? Yes. Uh Yes. And he would take me to the sands some nights on graveyard and we'd go to the garden room and have Chinese food. And he would give me little, words of wisdom and things to certain things that you you know if you borrow money and you say you'll have it there a certain day then you have it there a certain day Hmm. and if you're if you don't have it there it better be that you're dead or you're in the hospital (laughs) and if you're just in the hospital you better be figuring out a way to have somebody take that money to that person (laughs) so and and those stuck with me but you know i was i was playing at the dunes and then all of a sudden, these two new guys came to town, and that's all you heard, the talk of the town, Chip and Danny, Chip and Danny. They called them the Goldust Twins. And they came to town, and they literally took it by storm. I mean, it was amazing. Um, they just they came with nothing and ran it into millions in no time. But Chip would come in the dunes, and Danny, too, and play, and they'd see me. In this, you know, little game, and I pretty much won every day. Um, and they'd see that. And in fact, when they had the the first time they had a mixed doubles event, Chip uh, asked me if I'd play in it the next year with him. Uh, of course, you know, I was so flattered. Well, Doyle had already picked Starla, who was probably the best woman player at that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Chip picked me. And of course, you know, they had side bets going and whatnot but uh you know so i guess by this time uh chip took over the poker room at the dunes uh i guess johnny moss had had it maybe right before him anyway chip just wanted to make sure there was a place for his big game you Mm -hmm. know for the big games to play and uh, so he took over the poker room, and I was I was dealing at Silver City by this time. And he asked me that, but I'd go to the dunes and play. And uh, he asked me if I'd come in. He'd stake me, and uh, you know, fifty fifty, whatever I won, up to five and ten dollar limit stud, and that was a huge game for me. I'd never played that high, <laughs> and I said, "Well, sure." And, you know, the first month I, I won a little bit and gave, he's like, you're the only one that won any. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure the guys were robbing him blind, but you know, he just needed to keep games going. So, um, so how, how many, tab- how many tables were in the room at the time? If you remember, Oh, I'm going to say maybe 10. Okay. 
Now, when I when I was just playing, you know, all the time before I went to work, I would schedule my play when the shows let out. The Dunes had a, uh, what was it, Casino de Paris. And I think the first show was nine and the second one was midnight uh, when they let out. So I would make sure I was there playing at those times because that's when all the tourists came out and uh, the games were really good. That's ga- <laughs> so game selection in the good old days, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that's how I met Chip and Danny. And, uh, and you're referring to Danny Robeson, for those who don't know, uh, on a first-name basis. And, and you mentioned Starla, Starla Brody, who had won that mixed doubles uh, bracelet with Doyle. It's really cool because, you know, mo- most of us folks, you know, we see these names on the Hendon mob. And, you know, you, th- you know, you think of, you know, black and white pictures or what have you. And, you know, these are people who you genuinely knew, interacted with. It's it's really cool uh, to hear about. And, and the fact is, you know, when you roll with Chip Reese in the 1970s, you really are uh, at the center of the poker world's action. Um, you know, you get to meet all of these folks that we know as the, as the old school legends. Um, well, you know, you started, like you said, as sort of a, a prop player and he staked you, but uh, obviously uh, your relationship with Chip uh, developed uh, over a while. What was, what was that uh, uh, period of time in your life like? <laughs> well, very exciting, I gotta say. I mean, you know, I'd been dealing at Silver City. I, I was actually married at the time. And so, you know, it was strictly business and platonic with Chip. And uh, anyway, he, uh, I guess I, I won my bracelet in 78. And it wasn't too long after that that uh, I was married for two years and we divorced. Anyways, I was playing at the dunes, and one night Chip called me and said, what are you doing? I said, well, nothing. He said, uh, I guess it was my days off. He's like, do you know how to play blackjack? Oh, yeah. Well, I knew basic strategy. I thought I knew what I was doing. I didn't have a clue. (laughs) But Stewie Unger owed some unsavory character $70,000. Chip says, well, I can't play anywhere in town ever. You know, I'm barred because I count cards, but we're going to go up to Reno. You want to go? Oh, okay. (laughs) So we all went up to Reno and spent the weekend and got Stewie's money back. And uh, still platonic, you know, but I I, I knew I liked him. He was fun. He was funny. And... uh, then a few days after getting back, he called me and said he had to go to some guy's pool party. He promised him he'd come by. And I said, okay. That's it. He said, then we'll go grab something to eat. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was basically our first date. And one thing led to another. And pretty soon we were going together. And, of course, he immediately had me quit working. I'm like, oh, gee, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what a ride. So, you know, literally five years, 24-7, we just had fun. Wow. So money money isn't everything, but, boy, it sure is fun, let me tell you. Unbelievable. And it just seemed like it was endless, you know. Yeah. 
I mean, I know, you know, from following you on Facebook, you know, you often post photos of, you know, those quote unquote, those good old days and you reminisce about him and some of the really cool trips you took together around the country, around the world. Uh, you know, obviously you, you still speak of him very fondly after all this time, uh, even though, you know, you did split after those five years um, together. Do you have any sort of um, funny memories or, or favorite memories or, or highlights <laughs> of your time? I'm, I'm sure you have, you know, a book's worth of them, but anything you well, might be able to share with us well what's so funny you know he was the consummate gentleman the closest i ever saw him come he almost kind of slung one card into the muck he played a hand terribly for chip it's the only hand i ever saw him play badly i thought and uh he knew it and he he slung his kind of one card into the muck and I mean, never a crossword to the dealer. Well, he and I never had a crossword. Mm -hmm. um, always a professional. But what people don't know is how silly he was. Old, he, silliest person I've ever met in my life. <laughs> in and what? In my, what way? One of my. Well, he 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 had rheumatic fever when he was six, and he couldn't go to school that whole year. So his mother stayed home. And played games with him all day long. Hmm. And he just had to be entertained at all times. So one of my favorite stories, he, he thought it would be cool to get hospital beds. He thought those looked nice. <laughs> and back then they didn't have, you know, adjust a bed. We bought hospital beds. <laughs> and <laughs> the first night I woke up in the middle of the night and he was folding me up. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> and I woke up and he had the remote he's just just a giggling I mean he just the, the look of glee on his face was just so people go oh I would be so mad what am I going to get mad about I didn't have to get up and go to a job I had a great life you know yep. and um, he uh, or he would see how many rubber bands he could put on my toes without waking me up <laughs> Or he would take his golf club and see how close he could get it to my nose without waking me up. Oh, God. <laughs> so, I mean, just silly all the time, nonstop. Wow. Just silly, goofy. Um, he would he, he would be betting on, a, on a, say, a football game. And he'd say, okay, honey, I need you to twitch this one in for me. So, you know, I'd pretend like I was bewitched and... And all of a sudden, he's like, oh, honey, don't stay right there. Don't move. Keep your finger on your nose. They're doing good. And he'd, he'd yell from downstairs, are, are you still twitching? Don't move. Keep. <laughs> <laughs> he said he wasn't superstitious till he met me. A few weird things happened, and I think I kind of. Kind of made him a little superstitious, but uh, anyway, he yeah, we just we had a great life, and even after we split up, it was just I I am uh, in the process of writing a book, so mm -hmm. I don't want to tell all my stories. Sure. You'll have to read the book to find out specific things, but okay. uh, my writer is uh, he's working on it. It's taken a, a long time. Well, well you can't rush genius, and uh, obviously some stories uh, need to be fleshed out in full to be properly uh, appreciated. There is one that, um, you know, I, I have read about you, though, uh, that there used to be a challenge 
at the Dunes Poker Room that anyone could sort of name their own game in stakes, but they had to play both you and Chip uh, in any order you chose. That that story got so blown out of proportion. (laughs) And I I know where it started. I hadn't even, because it wasn't a thing. It just happened. Um, There was a player named Mark Spear, really good player. And he came in the dunes. Well, once Chip took over the dunes poker room, not too long after, I guess, Eric, Drake, and Doyle um, opened the poker room at the Silverbird. Mm-hmm. So kind of all the business went there. So there really wasn't any need for Chip to run the poker room at the dunes. But anyway, so Chip would be in there. He was playing somebody a freeze out. And Mark came in and wanted to play. And Chip's like, well, you know, we're playing a freeze out. He's like, well, if you want to play, play Terry a freeze out. It was stud because that's basic. I mean, I played some hold, limit hold'em, but I'm not a great hold'em player by any means. And uh, he's like, play Terry uh, freeze out. And if you, but if you beat her, you have to play me. Aha. Uh-huh. And he beat me, and then he beat Chip, and oh. that happened once or twice. But it wasn't a thing at the Dunes. That it happened once or twice. Okay. All right. Well, I'm glad you clarified that. Um, one thing that certainly happened uh, at least once is that I, I read you played 800, 1600 stud with the late Larry Flint. Uh, maybe you could oh, sort. Yeah. Maybe you could tell us uh, where that was. You know, about him sitting literally across the felt, and I guess what it was like to play for those astro. I mean, even today, those are some pretty damn high limits. Oh yeah. Well, you know, and I obviously I didn't start playing higher limit until I was with Chuck. Sure. Uh, but yeah, Larry would come in for the World Series. Now, after Larry got shot, um, he was in terrible pain. He would shoot up right at the table. Wow. Just pull out his little, uh, what you call it, the rubber band. And, and it was a some kind of concoction. I want to say liquid cocaine and morphine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. And he would shoot up right at the table. And... <laughs> I remember he asked Eric Drake one day, he's like, hey, Eric, they got any more of that pumpkin pie? (laughs) They brought the pumpkin pie, and Larry says, thanks, and then splat, face down right in the pumpkin pie. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Poor guy. Well, and then he had the the, uh, surgery done to alleviate the pain, Mm -hmm. and he was certainly... You know, he wasn't shooting up and he was losing. He was actually a very smart man. I mean, people can, you know, say he was horrible and, you know, treating women like that. But you can't deny his uh, his business mm-hmm. sense. Sure. But uh, so he would come in and play. And Chip, of course, was always in the biggest game in the room. But he might be playing, you know. 1,500 and 3,000, and Larry want to play 8 and 16. And Chip say, here, honey, go play in that game with Larry. And so I played, you know, some, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to say it was a habit, but maybe five or six different times hmm. um, with Larry. I know one time Chip was playing 1 and 2,000, and he had to get up and go to the restroom. I said, let me play a couple of hands just so <laughs> I can say I played that. <laughs> 
but but I I only picked up a few hands. I never played that limit. And, and what was um, that like for? I mean, like even living that high life, but actually you being the person having that money at stake. I mean, what, what was that experience like for you? And again, let's just remind our listeners. You know, this is you know plain old American girl coming from Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> you come a long way. Yeah, it. Uh, like I say, it was a great time. I mean, you know, we met a lot of, you know, over the years, it, that's what it's about, the people you meet along the way. I mean, met a lot of great people, um, but playing was fun, let's face it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I won more than I lost, um, especially if he was stuck. He'd come over and say, here, I need you to move to this game. I need you to try. <laughs> try to get me even. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> wow. So, so, but yeah, I mean, uh, people go, well, what books did you read? Well, I, I didn't. I would, you know, when you have Chip laying there in bed next to you at night and you're going over hands, you know, it's, I, I can't get much better coaching than that. No, no, honey, you should have check raised with that hand and isolated and, Oh, okay. I, I understand, you know, get that dead money in the pot. And, uh, obviously, you know, he taught me, he taught me everything I know. Unfortunately, he didn't teach me everything he knew. <laughs> <laughs> he, he couldn't, you know, he was just too smart. He just, I remember one time he was going to go, uh, play in a stud tournament and he had written it, the seven stud chapter in Doyle's book. Sure. Super and system. Yep. He, he got the chapter out and was reading it. I said, what are you brushing up? He said, no, I just want to remember what I taught them. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great line. Great story. I mean, also, you know, folks who played back then typically weren't in their early twenties. I imagine you were by far the youngest person in these games. Well, you know, it's funny. One time it was at the golden nugget. It was a three and six hundred stud game, and I looked up, and it was Cindy Violet, David Gray, Jeff Sandow, Johnny Chan, Jackie Jean, myself. Doesn't sound like a very good game, does it? No. And then a couple of, of uh, I don't want to say live ones, but uh-huh. a couple of you know um, uh, recreational players. Yes. Okay. I mean, and I was the oldest person in the game at like 28. Wow. Playing three and 600. Yeah. Cindy's uh, Cindy and I uh, played a lot of hours together at, at uh, Caesar's palace. They had a 15 and 30 and 30, 60 stud games. And um, yeah, I was, I was the oldest person. The oldest in the game. person. My goodness. Wow. Yeah. Jackie Jean was another one. Sadly, uh, she passed away a few years ago, and mm-hmm. she was. I mean, there there just weren't that many women around. Right, right. And who who are some of the uh, older folks that that people may know? I mean, you mentioned Johnny Moss. I don't know if he was playing in those games, but uh, you know, if Doyle was around, who who were the folks playing like the two hundred, four hundred games? Uh, you know, that uh, may, may may not uh, be around anymore. Oh, God. well, I remember one game in particular at the World Series, and I had a really good series that year. I remember um, 
started a three and six hundred half stud, half hold'em game. Ooh. And it was a really good game because guys like Jack Strauss would jump in. And mm. Jack was a great no limit player, but he wasn't the greatest stud player by any means. And uh, some of those old school uh, guys like that would jump in. Now, I don't think Sailor Roberts played in those games. Uh, you know, he was mostly a no limit player, if I remember right. Those are really some amazing stories. You know, we hear about Sailor Roberts. You know, you mentioned Jack Strauss, Treetop Strauss, the the famous winner of the main event uh, from the chip in a chair story. Uh, just so crazy that uh, you know you got to play with them, and it's uh, interesting to hear that first person perspective. Uh, you know, hey, you know they were pretty decent holding players, but other games uh, maybe, maybe not so much. So I mean, you mentioned also um, you know Stu Unger. Uh, you had to get his money back uh, over in Reno. I know uh, you have some pretty uh, incredible stories about him i believe you taught him how to shave and use a blow dryer is that right uh, yeah I, I did he uh he came to town i guess he had been coming you know for a while he you know he won all this money back east playing gin and then come blow it in the pit and then he started playing poker a little bit and he and chip hooked up you know i guess chip helped him play poker some and and blackjack and Stewie taught him how to play gin better. And Stewie was, I guess, had been so live in the pit, he was actually able to get he and Chip into the Aladdin to play. They made a proposition game. And I would go and sit behind and try to help keep track of cards. And uh, um, but yeah, they they did that. Stewie uh, was he had kept talking about this, his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. He's like, well, I can't wait. She's going to come out here. She's going to come out here. I said, I've got to meet this girl, Madeline. And he was, oh, he was so excited for her to move out here. But meanwhile, he would, he had naturally curly hair and he didn't know how to blow it dry. <laughs> so if his, if his hairstylist at the, at the dunes was off, he would just let it get, really really dirty mm -hmm. and greasy and he just he wouldn't do anything to it because he didn't know how to wash and blow it dry he hated <laughs> it curly he wanted it straight and uh he's like well i need to shave but i'm like you don't know how to shave so i i taught him how to shave wow i <laughs> madeline finally got here and they bought a, a really nice big two-story English Tudor home not too far from us. And uh, she was out of town, I think. I went over for something one day. and I said, I, I, I need to use the restroom. He goes, well, he had that thick New York guy. you got to go upstairs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, why, why do I have to go upstairs? Because there's no toilet paper down here. I said, well, okay, but Stewie, why don't you bring the toilet paper upstairs? God forbid you buy more. Why don't you bring the toilet paper that's upstairs downstairs? I don't know how to get off that thing. <laughs> he did not know how to get the toilet paper off the toilet paper holder. Incredible. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Unbelievable. 
Un- unbelievable. I mean, this is the kind of insight, uh, you know, you could never possibly get just from watching those old uh, videos of him at the table at the main event. My my goodness, uh, a savant of sorts, uh, I suppose. Really, really incredible. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, one, one story, he bought a new Mercedes, powder blue. Of course, he blew the engine up because he didn't know it how to, you know, we were supposed to put oil in it. Um, <laughs> but he, he needed a, to get a driver's license. You know, coming from New York, he probably didn't drive that much, but Chip needed to get his new his license also. So I drove him over to the Department of Motor Vehicles on, Sahara, on East Sahara, and they're taking the written test. And Stewie's trying to chip, huh? What, what's there? What's there? To, what's there? To, chip's like, shh, shh. And Stewie's trying to, and the instructor finally came over after warning them a couple of times. And she, she was a, a big black woman, very nice, but she just grabbed his chair by the back of the chair and dragged it across the room <laughs> and separated them. Oh, gosh. <laughs> And Stewie was, uh, you know, kind of a lightweight <laughs> as well. Right? Yeah, Stewie was very little all his life, but he uh, he actually passed the written and failed the driving. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the second time he took the girl, the instructor, he took her to McDonald's and he passed. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. My goodness. I know one of yeah. the one of the other folks who was obviously incredibly prominent in those days, Amarillo Slim, you know, uh, credited widely for, uh, you know, going on Johnny Carson and, you know, and, and promoting the game of poker. Uh, have you got any stories of interactions with him that you may have had? Well, yeah, I mean, he was, you know, always I've actually got a picture of him somewhere in here. I took of him and he's sticking his tongue out at me. But, uh <laughs> Up in, I, I don't even know where it was in in Tahoe. Yeah, he uh, he was always a nice guy. He was just uh, you know loved to talk. And uh, we actually he went to Europe with us when we all went for the Irish Poker Tournament. Mm-hmm. So traveling around Europe with Slim was kind of an adventure. <laughs> he uh, he always you know let's face it he stands out. Sure. You know, in that cowboy garb and the way his gift to gab and the way he talks and uh but uh you know he was he he always credited oh terry kept us you know i i kept all the you know whatever airline tickets and you know i was always in charge of organizing things and and uh, i know when we went to france he went to pair he went to france with us because he had to buy his his wife wanted I think it was some Limoges or Haviland, China. Mm-hmm. And so that was his job was to find that and take it back. And he did. And then he, he left us there, I think. But, uh, you know, like I say, it was a, a sad ending. Now, I asked Doyle's wife one day, I said, well, what does Doyle think about all this? Um, you know, the stories about Slim. He had some court issues sure. toward the end. She said, well, Doyle says that the slim he knew would never have done that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, who knows? People get old. They get senile. Sure. I, you know, I, I have no clue other than when I knew him, he 
seemed to be okay. I know a lot of people did not like him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine says that he <laughs> he actually threatened to kill him at one point. So yeah, he was probably not a real nice guy, but hmm. he was always nice to me. Hmm. So we'll leave it at that. No problem. No problem. Oh, and of course, you've got you know, you've got plenty of stories of Chip Doyle, and there's also uh, you know the the legend, the great uh, Hall of Famer Billy Baxter. And I heard I've heard the story before, but I don't know how much it's gotten out. It's an incredible story uh, that you told about the three of them playing gin on the golf course where Doyle lost a lot of money. If you could regale us with that story, I would be most grateful. <laughs> Well, excuse me, I'm taking a sip because this is a long one. (laughs) We lived on the Las Vegas Country Club. We didn't buy a house there. Chip said, nah, I don't think, you know, not yet. And then Doyle bought one. Chip's like, okay, we can buy the house down the street. Mm -hmm. So anyway, they would go, they were playing some sort of, I don't know what exactly what captain's gin is, some kind of three-way gin. And all week long, Chip said, of course, we didn't have cell phones back then. Sure. But Chip said Doyle would be winning along about 6 o'clock. He'd get a little bit tired and say, well, it's about time I'm going home. Mama's cooking. So after about five days of him winning every day, got to go home, mama's cooking. (laughs) About the sixth day, they got Doyle stuck. Well, he was so stuck. And the little guy came and said, okay, guys, I have to close up. And Doyle said, I'll be right back. And he stood up and walked outside with the guy and peeled off a few hundreds and the guy came back and he said, you all play just as long as you want. Sure. I'll, you know, I'll lock up whenever you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess, and I've told this story before and I actually heard Chip do it at Doyle's roast. So I had, I did have a pretty verbatim, but, um, I guess at one point Chip said, okay, Doyle, you got to stop the, you know, he was stuck a few hundred thousand. Hmm. And Chip, Chip's like, it's just such a bloodbath, man. You got to, you know, you, you're not going anywhere, Blondie. Deal the cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, he had made them switch tables three or four different times. Um, they were the only ones in the clubhouse at the Las Vegas Country Club. He finally said, all right, I know y'all are doing something. <laughs> he said you gotta strip down naked <laughs> he said what he's like yeah I think you're wired up you gotta strip down to prove you're not Billy looked at Chip and they're like well I mean I guess we gotta do it I mean he's not gonna pay us if we don't <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so, all right, is this coming in too loud? No, you're. This is great. This is wonderful. I don't know if this. It, it seems like it went to speakerphone or something suddenly. I hear anyway, it loud and clear. Anyway, so 
I think the bottom figure, I think I mentioned it to Doyle not that long ago when I said something about, he's like, yeah, 725,000 shorty. Thanks a lot. Wow. He was so mad at them. He didn't talk to them for a few months, but he paid them. And I guess he finally figured out they didn't do anything. He just couldn't believe he could lose that badly. But, um, I mean, if they stripped down naked, I guess that's pretty. When Chip came home, he came home the next morning. Tears were gushing out of his eyes. I mean, literally. He's like, you're not going to believe this. He said, Doyle made us strip down naked and play. He said, he's so mad at us right now. He said, oh, we tried to get him to quit, and he wouldn't quit. You're not going anywhere, Blondie. <laughs> Unbelievable. Incredible. I, I, of course, you know, there's like just so many of these stories. Uh, but before, you know, I also want to make sure we get into your uh, career working as a dealer, as a floor person. But just a couple more questions about you uh, and you playing. You know, we mentioned that you are a, a bracelet winner. You entered the $200 WSOP bracelet event, women's seven card stud uh, back in 1978. There were 84 entries, only three players cashed, and you won the darn thing for over $10,000, and you beat uh, Starla Brody. What do you remember about that event? Well, I was, I remember it got down shorthanded, and my, I was wearing contacts, and the smoke in the room, my eyes were killing me, and I was so tired. But I just, I just had to, you know, keep, keep trying to play my best. And when it got down to heads up with Starla and me, um, I knew she was a way better player than I was. Um, and she was younger. I was only what twenty three, I think, and she, uh, she was a little younger. But she had been playing thirty, sixty, you know, with with the guys for uh, quite a while. But. Uh, it, what what's so funny is that uh, Chip and Danny actually had a piece of my uh, buy-in, mm-hmm. and so of a two hundred dollar buy-in. Well, that's a long story with my my soon-to-be ex-husband in this story. <laughs> um, he he blew my buy-in, and so he sold pieces of me. Oh wow! Anyway. <laughs> So Chip and Dan, well, as it turned out, it worked out because Chip and Danny had a piece of me. And so on a break, Danny came over and he says, I can give you a few pointers how to beat her. And he gave me some pointers and sure enough, I beat her. But without (laughs) that, I would not have. He's like, but you can't, you got to swear not to tell anybody because her boyfriend's a friend of mine. I don't know if she was still with the guy, but Danny was friends with, uh, her ex-boyfriend or then boyfriend, I don't know, but, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I didn't for a long time, but, uh, people, of course I will never 
give his pointers away. I mean, I said I'd take those to the grave, and I will. Well, there you some, go. Some things will will never be told. <laughs> oh, goodness. Wow. So the last question I've got about your play, you know, we, we talk about this tournament and you look at your your hand and mob, which records all the tournament results. And that bracelet win was actually your first result. First, that's super cool. Win a bracelet in your first catch. Uh, you've recorded a total of 13 catches in tournaments across 25 years. Uh, your last one coming in 2003. And, you know, you had mentioned, obviously, you know, you were, you know, front and center. You were where when, when Chris Moneymaker and his uh, main event win changed the game. I'm wondering, you know, that's when poker truly started booming and, and you had been around. You were in the right place, right time. You never caught the tournament bug, really? Well, I mean, I played quite a few tournaments, but um, I really, when Stud kind of went out the window, I kind of quit playing. Hmm. You know, I just... Uh, like I say, I'm I'm a dinosaur, and I was in a really really bad car wreck in 2002, oh. and laid up in bed for uh, flat on my back for a month, and just kind of stud went out the window during that time. Wow! So I just wanted to heal enough to go back to work, and uh, and I did, and I just really never got back into playing too much. I mean, I play. A tournament here or there, mm-hmm. um, a few women's events. Although, you know, they're no limit hold'em, and I, sure. you know, like I say, I, I don't really care for those. But uh, you know, if there were a stud game, I, I I know there's one here in town, um, a few days a week, maybe at the Win or um, Resorts World, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, maybe the Bellagio too. But it's 30-60. Yeah, I haven't played in years. I'm rusty, and that's too big for me. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just and, – and back then, you know, a lot of things didn't get recorded. I don't know if you noticed on my Hendon Mob what's so funny is it'll say best all-time rank. Sure. I'm, third, I'm 30th. Think about that. At one time, I was 30th of all-time money winners. That's because – it's that's when they the tournaments first started. Uh-huh. So that ten thousand dollar win put me up on. I mean, now people are like you know, two twenty thousandth and something, you know. But at one time I was thirtieth. <laughs> That, that is truly incredible. To, to give folks uh, just an idea, these days, I'm looking right now on the Hendon Mob, 30th on the Hendon Mob would be none other than Alex Foxen, who has just over $21 million <laughs> in all-time earnings. So times certainly have changed uh, a little bit, I would say. But, uh, you know, that's that's your playing career. And like you said, you know, you, you moved on, but you continued uh, being in the poker world. Uh, you talked about being a dealer. Um, and, and look, we all know, you know, I remember uh, having um, Jan Fisher uh, here on the podcast as well. Uh, she was episode, tell you guys in a second, she was episode number 57. And she told plenty of stories, unfortunately, Unfortunately, of you know how back in the day, you know dealers, quite frankly, there's no, no way around it. They they suffered a lot of abuse, and it's certainly not like it is today. Um, what were your experiences like dealing uh, when you first started? And you mentioned you know you were playing, but you you dealt as well very young. You know just when you had just turned 21. So what was that like for you sitting on on that side of the felt? 
Well, fortunately, I had met a lot of these guys when I was playing, so I knew a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So that played in my favor. Um, and then, um, you know, years later, having been with Chip, I think a lot of a lot of the guys, just out of respect for him and that I'd been with him you know, for so long, and, you know, they, they didn't give me a beer. I remember J.C. Pierce, Puggy's brother, he was terribly abusive to dealers, but he never abused. He would bite his lip. But I had known JC forever, and you know we were always friends. And and uh, Puggy was was horrible to dealers, and yet he was a friend of mine. You know, I never dealt to him that I remember. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I was lucky in that regard that I didn't suffer too much of the abuse hmm. um, that hmm. a lot of dealers did. Eric Drake helped put a lot of that dealer abuse. Uh, he stopped a lot of that, For so sure. that's good. I believe but yeah, you, it was it was horrible. You you were one of the first female dealers to deal the WSOP main event. Uh, you know, can you tell us what it was like uh, back at the old Binion's Horseshoe? Uh, you know, being you know right there in the spotlight at the you know I guess at the featured table as well. Well, it was it was fun. It was I was working at Silver City, and I I was also dealing a shift at. at the horseshoe Mm -hmm. and I played and won the, my bracelet that same event and I was exhausted, but Eric came to me. Now I, I know that Margie Hines. Now all I can tell you is what Eric told me. He said, I want you and Jackie Simon to come deal the main event. You're going to be the first two women to do that. Hmm. I said, okay. And Jackie said, okay, we were very flattered. So, you know, all I know is what Eric told me, but I, I understand that Margie Hines um, had dealt, I don't know if it was the main event, but I think she may have been the first woman to deal mm-hmm. the World Series. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, we were all, I think Margie was the first, but Jackie and I were the, maybe the first to deal the main event. We didn't deal the final table. Okay. Um, at least I didn't. Jackie might have, but she was an excellent dealer, and I'm in touch with her. Um, somewhat we we still hold a little silver city reunion every few years and we have about 20 people show up so that's always fun some old old school it was it was a fun crew you know we uh and a lot of them were in my group starless mother and sister and and son and a lot of them are in my little facebook group so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's a fun it's all we do you know we we talk about old uh you know, old players, and do you remember so-and-so or the tournaments? And uh, Tommy Huffnagel and Don Zuan were both very active in the group, telling mm-hmm. stories. If you Google Tommy's name, you'll see he mostly commented. He didn't post much, but he commented a lot. Hmm. Um, and sadly, we lost them both in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. so. But, uh, yeah, and my friend Bruce Hershenson, who played a million hours with me of one to three stud uh and he went on to play much higher limits and uh and then got out of poker and became a successful businessman mm-hmm. and family man and anyway so it, it's nice to still be connected with some of these a friend of mine joy blum joy and her husband bert used to come in and play at silver city back in the 70s she dealt at the bellagio until about I don't know, 
three, four years ago, when she was 86. Oh, my she goodness. She finally retired. Wow. She finally re- yeah. I can't imagine dealing those big games. <laughs> you know, just too much pressure anymore. I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> Plus, I don't know all those games anymore. But, right. Uh, well, well, so. uh, Jack Effel actually just came out very recently, and you know, where they're putting out a call over at Caesars, you know, for this year's World Series, and talked about, uh, you know, that they're really, you know, th- you know, putting their money where their mouth is. You know, more credit to them. Dealers could be earning somewhere around fifty dollars an hour this year. I imagine it wasn't as, um, let's use the word, generous back then. Um, what, what was a dealer making, you know, back in the day? Well, back in the day, I mean, when I started at Silver City, now this was, what, 74? I was averaging about 150 a day in tips. Oh, now, we didn't, okay. We didn't get taxed on those tips back then. Uh-huh. And you didn't it's pool them either, right? No, pokers never pool. Well, I can't say that. Like when I worked in Tulsa, the, uh, oh, no, we didn't pool, but everything got recorded. Okay. Counted down and... Um, but yeah, the IRS obviously was able to keep track of blackjack dealers, but poker was tough. So they finally started doing like tip compliances where if you'll say, okay, I make, you know, X amount per hour and pay taxes on that. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, I, I made about 150 a day in tips and rent was about 200 a month back then. Hmm. So I could almost make my rent in one day. For sure. (laughs) So you know, it's what's sad is that I didn't save that money and invest in property. <laughs> <laughs> Hindsight is we, certainly we, 2020. That's for sure. We, I mean, Decatur was way out west, you know, and a trip to Bonnie Springs or, or, uh, uh, Mount Charleston was an all day event. Now mm-hmm. it seems like it's not far out at all, but, right. uh, yeah, so money was really good back then. Mm-hmm. But now I give Jack's actually in my Facebook group too, although I've never met Jack. Oh. But he uh, he's commented on if he loves my old vintage posts. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, you know, about time they stepped up and, and made it. I mean, it got to where no good dealers want to go and deal anymore. You know, they can make more where they're, you know, where they're working now. Mm-hmm. So at least this gives them some incentive. Uh, you know, to at least make it competitive. For sure. Well, I, I want to talk. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt. No, I was going to say, and hopefully, you know, they'll cut cut down on dealer abuse. Mm-hmm, uh, sure. I know Matt Savage has really tried to do that in the last few years. Linda and Jan and Lupe Soto, and you know, they're all trying to do things to encourage women to play more, and uh, having having the guys step up and and stop it certainly helps absolutely and you know if you're giving the shout outs then i got to tell folks you know lupe soda was on episode number 50 uh, and matt savage was right afterwards episode number 51 so lots of great folks to listen to uh you know great stories and of course people who are certainly still active and and promoting the industry and you know trying to get really good things happening and you mentioned jack maybe we'll have him on someday but you know it's good to see that uh you know they're, they're doing actively as much as possible to you know um, cut down, obviously, uh, on the abuse and, and give dealers a, a good wage. You know, they provide a, 
uh, a critical service to all of us who enjoy uh, the game. Uh, Terry, you know, we talked about you being a dealer, and I know you you progressed through your industry career. You became a floor person. You became a tournament director. Um, you, you had had those five years with Chip, and then I guess you moved uh, to L.A. But th- this part, you know, I did try to do the research, but uh, the, the timeline's just a little bit foggy to me. Could you kind of sort of give us uh, a timeline a little bit of your career progression? And uh, when when did you move out there and, and how long did you stay there? And, and you know, how, how long did it take you sort of to climb that ladder, uh, you know, to your to your, I guess, tournament director position was the, was the latest one? Well, no, that wasn't the latest oh, no? one. What, uh, well, when I, Chip and I split up and I moved to California and I was kind of back and forth. You know, um, then I was in L.A. for maybe 10 years and back to Vegas. You know, I've been back and forth a lot. And mm-hmm. I was in Oklahoma helping take care of my mom. Uh, but uh, when I moved to California, I was working at the bike, mm-hmm. the bicycle club. Well, at the bicycle club, you could play or deal. Now, if you dealt, uh, I mean, if you played, you clocked out. Well, once they started taxing tips they had a special code you could clock in and play without getting taxed on your hours Mm -hmm. but you got paid your minimum wage which is what dealers made and uh you could play on the clock you played your own money as long as you could behave yourself and not offend customers or throw temper tantrums Mm -hmm. you were allowed to play so i played a lot on the clock anywhere from 15 and 30 to 75 and 150 studs Mm-hmm. And if I wasn't doing particularly well, I would deal. Um, and then I also ran satellite tournaments and ran some tournaments. Phyllis Carroll was my boss, best uh-huh. boss ever. She was she was fabulous. And then Hollywood Park Casino was opening up. And they came and asked me if I would come over as a shift manager. I didn't apply for a job. I wasn't looking. I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I really, you know, like it here, and Phyllis has been good to me. I'm like, well, I think they'd be happy to pay your minimum wage to come back and play 75 and 150 stuff every day. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, yeah, I guess that's true. That's a good point. So I went over and I was a shift manager at Hollywood Park for five years. Uh-huh. And we opened, I think, with 90 poker tables. Mm-hmm. So that was quite an adventure. It was really in a bad area then. I, they're revitalizing the area now. So it's much better, but mm-hmm. it, it was a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had, I mean, short of, you know, every security guard having bullets in their guns, um, we were in trouble. So they mm-hmm. hired this elite squad known as the Frank Unit, and Michael Clark Duncan was the first guy they hired. Oh, wow. It's um, the movie star. The Green Mile. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah, sure. Wow. Goodness. Wow. Twenty-two inch biceps. <laughs> that's that's not Hollywood makeup. That's the real deal. <laughs> and then they hired a guy that was six foot ten. And when the two of them would walk across the floor, my friend Steve Eno named them the Quaalude Squad. <laughs> he said, when they walk by, everybody just mellows out. <laughs> <laughs> goodness. So I felt pretty safe there, yeah. Uh-huh. But, uh, yeah, I did that for five years, and uh, 
yeah, it was, uh, it was, you know, it was, it was nice. Met a lot of nice people there, but moved on from there and then back to Vegas. And anyway, so yeah, I, uh, I played some, they had some stud games there and I would play sometimes, but. Are there any, perhaps, um, were, were there any very challenging or perhaps like really super enjoyable moments that, that come to mind of your industry career when you were, you know, like you said, you know, you kind of get to play, which was pretty cool. Uh, you talk about, you know, the the security issues there, but, you know, you spent a good, a good chunk of your life uh, in these places. Were there any moments that come to mind of, uh, as really memorable? Oh, well. A lot of memorable ones. <laughs> I can think of one story in particular. There was a, a stud player, George. And I was shift manager. And George was playing. And all of a sudden, George's wife came in. And she was a little bitty thing, too. I mean, I wasn't very big back then. I've, I've beefed up somewhat, but I'm only five feet tall, so I, I wasn't very big. But she was little. And she came in, and he was in the middle of a pot. And all of a sudden, she grabbed him by the ear, and she's trying to grab him up out of the table. And I said, ma'am, she's like, you shut up. You don't know what you're talking about this is my husband and she looked at me and she goes where's your husband do you know where your husband is and if i thought quick if i had thought quickly enough i would have said yeah he's out playing poker <laughs> it was like three in the morning and uh she says where's your husband and she stopped that i was wearing a little Nancy Reagan pink business suit with pearls, okay? Mm -hmm. And she stepped back and she checked me up and down and she looked me up and down. She goes, oh, you don't have a husband, do you? Oh, boy. You, she says, you little whore. And she's screaming this. The whole casino stopped. She says, you little whore of the night. Wow. <laughs> You know, what do you say or do? Secure, I, I mean, I think it would have taken 10 security guards to take her out. Short of hitting, short of hitting her with my walkie-talkie, I'm like, listen, he'll come with you. Let him get his money. And security escorted him out the door. And the whole the whole casino is looking at me, you know, the whole poker side. And I just looked up. I said, so how'd she know? <laughs> I imagine Everybody everyone started laughing. So, I mean, you know, there, and then the time a, a, a guy's wife and mother came in and got an extension cord and wrapped it around his neck and tried to drag him out of there. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stories. Uh, one guy threw a tray table across the room at the food server. Oh yeah. I mean, just always something to deal with. So yeah, lots of memories, but like I say, lots of nice people I've met over the years and I've stayed in touch with a lot of them. 
So that actually kind of leads in a little bit to uh, my next question. I just have a couple left of my own before we get into the community questions that our Cards Chat members have sent in for you. You know, let's talk a little bit about nowadays. You know, I said how I met you originally. We've been connected for a few years on Facebook. And, you know, I know you've got, uh, you know, this group Action Now Sports Poker. Uh, the group is exceptionally active and you're exceptionally active. You're always posting, you know, these memories, these pictures. You know, what made what motivated you? You to to sort of transition into doing that. I got an iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> I kept telling people I don't want to get one because everyone I know that has one is never off of it. And uh, I, I actually had joined another Facebook group first, and uh, so I kind of learned how to navigate and do things and. I left that group. I, I just wanted somewhere to post stuff. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like I was trying to make money on it or, you know, advertise stuff. Or, you know, I just wanted uh, someplace to post. And, and uh, like I say, a lot of these people I've known from the 70s and 80s. And a lot of the dealers, I've tracked down a few of them that I hadn't seen since the late 70s. And they're in the group now. And, Hopefully, we're going to have a get-together sometime soon. One girl uh, that I actually slept on her couch in between apartments one time. We reconnected, and uh, we're going to try to plan a little Silver City get-together um, sometime maybe in July, I think. So if you're in town, stop by. <laughs> Well, I, I hope to to be uh, in Las Vegas in June during the World Series, and I wouldn't want to intrude on a a, a very special gathering uh, of that nature. Um, but I, I think it's just really great um, that you know you you're you're very active in in I, I, don't, I don't want to use the word memorializing, but reminiscing and remembering about those wonderful days. And I think it's very cool for so many of us who weren't around then in Las Vegas uh, and just, you know, aficionados and, and, you know, people who appreciate the history of Las Vegas, of poker, uh, to be able to sort of see it uh, through your eyes. Um, Terry, can you tell us, you know, so what, what are you up to in general these days? How do you spend your time? Well, it's been a crazy few years, let's face it. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, <laughs> uh, hopefully things are going to somewhat get back to normal soon. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've tried to be cautious. I'm a cancer survivor. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to be cautious and haven't really gotten out and about and not ready to go back and work in a, in a casino environment right now. So, you know, I felt worked for a couple of friends that had some projects for me to help them with and organizing their house and doing stuff. Uh -huh. But, uh, you know, I, I'm probably going to try to play maybe the stud tournament at the world series. Oh, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if I'll even play the women's event just cause I suck at holding. <laughs> Well, I think that would be an incredible story to see you hopefully make a deep run in a stud tournament or any tournament. You know, uh, like we said, you know, your first cash was that bracelet win in 1978. You know, who who wouldn't love a Hollywood-esque story uh, of, of Terry King, you know, making it back to the winner's circle? And, you know, you said you're working on a book, so perhaps that'd be a pretty fitting, uh, you know, fi final chapter. Obviously, you got many more wonderful years ahead of you, but uh, I, I certainly am looking forward to that book. 
and I'm sure after listening to all your stories, so many of us are. Um, one last question from me. We'll get into the the forum questions. You know, Terry, it's been 50 years since you moved to Las Vegas. You're obviously still madly in love with the city. Uh, you're connected to poker, still, uh, you know, appreciate it. Um, get any sort of bucket list items uh, or unfulfilled dreams that you'd still like to cross off? I mean, I want, you know, with everything that you've done, is there anything that you still haven't yet done and would still like to do? Oh, that's an interesting question. I like to think that I've done most everything I've wanted to do. I tried, you know, I like to live as a as if each one is my last day. I mean, I certainly, I'm happy every day I wake up. I mean, I truly am. My, I, my family lives to be quite old. My grandmother was 91. My mom was 91. So I'm thinking I got a few good years left in me. Mm -hmm. Um, not too many. I mean, like I say, when I moved to Vegas, I didn't aspire to come and be a professional poker player. That, I've really not planned much out in my life. Maybe that's what's happened. Maybe, that's what's <laughs> <wrong>. <laughs> Maybe I needed to have a few more goals, but you know, I, I, I find something that I like and if I enjoy doing it, I just try to keep with it. You know, when I, when that stops, then I move on. I've, I've lived quite a few places in my life mm -hmm. and, um, my mom would laugh and say she just pencils my addresses in anymore. My <laughs> numbers. Um, I guess, you know, I, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants kind of gal. So I don't really plan things out. Yeah, I would like to do, you know, I would love to be able to do, you know, more charity work. Mm. Um, pets. I know Jennifer Harmon does a lot of uh, uh, work with the Las Vegas uh, I guess SPCA or mm -hmm. Humane Society, yep. and, mm -hmm. and they did a, a feature. A friend of mine, uh, his wife worked for CNN, and they want to do a story. They wanted to do a story on her a few years ago, so they did, and it, you know, tying in her poker uh, in with that, mm -hmm. and uh, so that was nice. But yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to do more, uh, more charity work, and hopefully, I will. Hmm. Um, now that this pandemic is hopefully, uh, in the rear view, getting, yeah, yeah. Let, let's, ho let's hope so. Let's hope. And, uh, I think at this point, all you can do is, you know, the best you can and you got to live your life. Absolutely. And it's certainly quite the life, uh, you've lived. And, you know, now we're getting to the segment of the show where our cards chat community had some questions about that wonderful life. Um, you know, folks, just a reminder, we have a dedicated thread on the Cards Chat forums for this. So as we announce who our future guests will be, please be sure to send in your questions. Uh, you know, the first one comes from Chica Bonita. Thank you, uh, Terry. Chica Bonita wants to know, um, you know, this is a very, I didn't even realize this. You know, you won your bracelet in 1978. Uh, now all the bracelets are standard. But back then, each bracelet was unique because you were taken to do an engraving. Uh, Chica Benita wants to know, what is the engraving on your bracelet? Well, sadly enough, I don't have my bracelet. Oh. Well, this is a funny story. So when my ex-husband sold pieces of me, he borrowed $100 from a friend, and he sold half of me to Chip and Danny, 
or uh, I'm sorry, 25% of me to Chip and Danny and 25% to Vince James. Now, Vince James happened to be Tony Spilatro's brother. Uh-oh. Tony Spilatro <laughs> was played by Joe Pesci in the movie Casino. Mm-hmm. And um, you'll have to read my book to find out more about this. No but problem. My, my bracelet got stolen. Oh. <sighs> We're pretty sure by Tony's hole in the wall gang, they robbed our house. Now, I had never taken the bracelet in for engraving because it was a gold nuggety thing. It was more masculine than than for women. I mean, Jack Binion, when I was with Chip, Jack Binion, you know, is still a friend. And I talk to him occasionally still. Um, I know he would have gotten me another bracelet. I just didn't want it. I knew I'd never wear it. Um, looking back, yeah, it would be nice to have that memento, but uh, I know I want it, so that's all that really matters. But thank you for the question. <laughs> sure thing. And what? <laughs> and and one more from from Chica Bonita. Uh, nowadays, you know, as opposed to back then, when you know, very very few women uh, were playing poker. You know, they were a very tight knit group. Now, thankfully, uh, you know, the game has certainly grown. There's quite a few movements uh, and communities out there to attract women to poker. Uh, you know, like Lupe Soto, you've mentioned she has many programs. We've had uh, Diva Byrne on uh, recently with her flip group, Fantastic Ladies in Poker. Um, how, how do you feel ab- about that in general, the growth of uh, poker for women? Do you participate in ladies events often? Uh, you know, how, how do you feel about those programs? Well, and I'm probably going to take a little heat from this. Okay. But... I mean, I, I wish we didn't need the programs. Hmm. I mean, it's almost like setting us back because we have to have special women's events. But we do. Sadly, we do. Um, because a lot of women, it, women's events were initially started because women did not want to get out you know, Johnny Moss's wife or Doyle's wife or any of those women that might consider playing. They didn't want to jump in and play in a game with those guys, mm-hmm. you know. So it was much more fun if they knew they were just going to be with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. And uh, these women's groups have done tremendous work getting more women involved. You know, Jan and Linda and Lupe and and uh the Women's Poker Association. So, I mean, there there is definitely a need for it, and uh, I do I do play. I played at Lupe's event at South Point. Sure. But but again, I think I played one or two events. I can't even remember. But um, I people go, oh, well, there's a there's a stud. Well, no, there's not just a stud tournament. I'm a dinosaur. I admit <laughs> it. Um, if they had stud, I'd play every event. <laughs> but uh, and like I say, I I probably won't play the women's event at the World Series. I'd rather invest that money and play the uh, in the stud event. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I will go and visit. You know, it's great camaraderie and uh, it's great to see all the women. But I just I haven't worked in many many years, mm-hmm. and 
so I'm I'm trying to be frugal with my buy-ins. <laughs> right. I I don't I don't think you take any heat for that. It's very honest, straightforward, and uh, it's a sensible answer. It makes a lot of sense. Um, Crystals, uh, another wonderful forum member, always contributes some great questions. Has this one for you, Terry? Um, you have played poker at the highest of limits. Did you ever feel in over your head at all? No. Hmm. I mean, I know I was, I was there, you know, it was chips money. I mean, it was our money, but let's face it, it was chips money. I mean, I could have whatever I needed. We didn't keep separate bankrolls or anything, but uh, no, I didn't feel like I was in over my head. Now, some of the games he, he had me go play in weren't the greatest games, but I didn't think I was in over. Well, I take that back. One time I did, I did, I, uh. He was playing, he must have been in a tournament or something. It was in Lake Tahoe. Maybe it was Reno. I get those two, I'm pretty sure it was Tahoe. And I sat down in a Hold'em game. And it was young Scotty and Laughing Allen. And I forget, a couple of other, I was in over my head. I was the sucker. I played terribly and Chip came by and he goes, Let's get out of here. I think you can see I was the sucker at that game. And, uh, but otherwise, I no, I, I, I didn't usually. I mean, it's easy to say. People go, oh, well, yeah, it's easy to, to win when you're playing somebody else's money. Well, yeah, that's true. You know, it's not like I didn't have the pressure of having to win, you know. Right. I guess a little bit of follow-up from from me specifically on this. You always treated it as chips as opposed to money. Not chip your your your, your fiance, but you know, like turn it like uh, poker chips as opposed to dollars. Oh yeah, you have to. Mm-hmm. You have to because uh, they're just tools. Right. They're just instruments for the game. Mm-hmm. And you hope you wind up with more of them at the end of the night. <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, last couple questions here, and they are from our wonderful contributor, Acid Burn FX. Always asks some excellent uh, and creative questions, and I really, really like these uh, to end off our show. Uh, I think we got three or four of them. Uh, Terry, Acid Burn FX wants to know, what is the best gift that you've ever given and the best one you've ever received? Best gift I've ever given. Wow. That I'll have to think on. Okay. We'll give but you we'll I'll give you a time chip. <laughs> I will say the best gift I ever received was and I'm gonna start crying. Oh. When Chip passed away, his stepdaughter, Brittany, who he adored like his own child and always did. She sent me a locket with his ashes in it. That's very special. My most prized possession. (laughs) Very special. Yeah. And I'm still in touch with her. Um, I mean, she, you know, she, uh, she says, oh, daddy told me how much, you know, you two meant to each other. And, you know, no matter what anybody says, she, she knows. So yeah, he, uh, she absolutely adored him. Very beautiful. I posted 
I posted a story in the group the other day. I don't know if you saw it. I walked into the Golden Nugget, and Chip was sitting at a table. And he was married, and, and uh, he was sitting there, and he had this great big pillowcase-looking thing. Now, I don't know if you know what Holly Hobby. It was like it's made by the people that make Raggedy Ann. And okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was fabric with little girls, you know, in that old school, old time dress. And Brittany, he said he was beaming. He said, look what Brittany made me. And it was a huge pillowcase to carry his money out of Holly Hobby fabric. <laughs> and he had it and it was full. Hmm. And he was so proud to carry that thing with that those little girls all over <laughs> that pillowcase. I imagine it meant it more, so more than meant more than the money inside. I'm sure. Goodness. Oh yeah, it did. He was so unpretentious. <laughs> we'll do two last ones. Um, Acid Burn FX wants to know, Terry, if you had a warning label, what would yours say? <laughs> <laughs> I told you they're fun ones to end off on. <laughs> what would my warning be? Watch out. I'm not holding anything back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's fair. All right, and our last one, uh, thank you again, Acid Burn FX. What legacy, Terry, do you want people to remember about you? That I was a nice person. Um, I, I try not to be vengeful or hateful. You know, I don't really, I have a few people that I really dislike, but I don't wish bad on anyone. I don't want anybody to have bad things happen to them. You know, I just, I try to be a good person and, uh, treat people fair and respect. That is um, an exceptionally beautiful note uh, on which to end this show. And and I have to say as well, you know, at least from this uh, wonderful hour and a half conversation, uh, that's certainly a legacy to me that you already seem to have left and, and be leaving. Uh, my goodness, I have enjoyed this time with you. And I'm so grateful and thankful to you uh, for taking the time to speak with us and tell us about your life, your career, uh, everything you've done in poker. Uh, I want to thank everyone who sent in questions uh, for Terry King. And again, just that friendly reminder to all of you out there in that Cards Chat community, we would love to see you submit your questions for our future guests in the dedicated thread on the forums. Guys, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes tunes and spread the word about our show via your social media channels if you liked it of course terry uh, before we let you go again uh, especially as it's uh, now approaching two o'clock in the morning in las vegas thank you so much for your time is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners and our audience before we let you go just uh I, you know i've really enjoyed this it like i say it took us a while to get this the time change uh uh, worked out till we figured out uh, we're both Naya also <laughs> do this. Uh, you know, if, if it's something you really want to do, do it, you know, don't wait on tomorrow. Uh, there's no time like today that tomorrow isn't guaranteed. If you really have a dream, pursue it, go do it. What's the worst that can happen? It doesn't work out and you do something else. 
Fantastic. Well, get Terry, again, thank you so much. Uh, thank you all for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife. I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.